0: The Lord sent his great messenger Elijah to anoint a prophet to follow him. God chose someone ordinary. Elijah found Elisha, a nobody, plowing his father's field. And what was Elisha's response? He burned his plow and left everything he knew to answer God's call. Elisha, a tale of ridiculous faith. been a real uh, growing anticipation of launching this conversation around the life of Elisha and uh, I've had people texting me and emailing me and speaking with me and really ready to take a next step, really ready for God to stretch us and grow us in our faith and uh, to actually be people who demonstrate a ridiculous faith, ridiculous in the good sense of the word, you know, like fully sick means good, not really bad and this is ridiculous faith is like really good. Um, and uh, so we're going to take a real deep dive for these four weeks. And, and I want you to take the deep dive with me to not just, not just, but I mean, be here on a Sunday, but not just uh, kind of wade in through the shallow end and, and, and splash around there, but, but come on a deep dive and there's a few extra things that you can do. First of all, uh, if you're part of our e-update list, we sent out uh, an email just uh, on Thursday, which previewed the passage or, or, or the sort of expanded part of the Bible that we're going to be teaching from today. And it's a really great habit if you, if you know ahead of time. We don't always send that uh, information out, but if we're going to do that for the next four weeks so you can get a handle on it. And that, that could be because you're not uh, familiar with the, the story of Elisha, and that's fine. That's great. That's why we're here. We want to learn about Elisha and his story and learn principles that we can apply to our own faith although maybe you think you are. Oh, I know everything there is to know about Elisha. I know what underpants size he is. I know every, well. Yeah, But you know what? God has always got more and fresh revelation every single time we open the word of God. And so take a deep dive with us. Read ahead. We're going to send you the, the preview uh, passage. In four weeks, we're not going to cover everything about Elisha. It's, it's, it's uh, you know, probably obvious to say that. And so there's a lot more to his life and his story that will help us better understand what God's going to show us. If you're a Bible app person on your phone or your, or your tablet, um, there's a functionality there called plans. If you go to the index called plans and you can type in, in plans, search, just type in Elisha. And there's a 13 day, uh, Reading plan and devotional plan from this actual teaching series, Elisha, a tale of ridiculous faith. And I did that myself a couple of months back just to kind of start to on ramp me and my faith. Uh, I'm going to go back and do that again over this four weeks, 13 days. It doesn't matter if you do 13 consecutive or you can binge uh, uh, read it, you know, in, it doesn't matter. But the, it's there. These resources are there. So I encourage you to, to do that and really take a deep dive and see what God does in you and through you and through us corporately. All right, Elisha. It's not a name we hear too much about, but he's, he lived. And uh, let me give you a bit of context. So around the time of Elisha, he was preceded by a guy named Elijah. I don't know why God, because this confuses some people. Elisha, Elijah, who's... Okay, so elijah Came first. He was a prophet. A prophet, someone that speaks God's word, God's God's thoughts to, to, to a person or, or people. And Elijah was a prophet. And he was this really, really well-known prophet in the area. Like a, he, was, he was like the rock star of his day. He, he had moves like Jagger before Jagger had moves like Jagger. And uh, one day, Elijah, God spoke to him and said, go and find a guy named Elijah, and I want you to be his mentor. I want you to actually train him up in the you know the things that you know and the things that you do, and I'm going to ultimately hand over what I've given you, Elijah, to Elisha. When you Elijah die, Elijah will pick things up and be my voice. So. Elisha, when Elijah, you, you're getting this, right? This is a really important thing to understand. This is not Elijah, a tailor of ridiculous faith. So got to figure out which, who's who in the zoo here. So the first guy, Elijah, when he did eventually die, Elisha prayed to God for a double portion of what God had given Elijah. The churchy word is the anointing, the power of God. Elisha, said, God, whatever you had going in Elijah, I want double that. That's a pretty cheeky prayer to pray, isn't it? But why not? You got nothing to lose? What's the worst thing that happened? God say no, being greedy? Well, God didn't say no. God actually said yes. He gave Elisha a double portion of the anointing that Elijah had, and Elisha, in his lifetime, performed twice as many miracles as Elijah and more miracles through God's spirit working in him than anybody in recorded history apart from Jesus himself. So you've got to think maybe we can learn something from this guy about faith and about principles that apply to us. What I want us to understand though, before we take this deep dive is Elisha, when Elijah came looking for him, Elisha, he was an ordinary guy, living with his parents, (laughs) probably 30 something. And uh, and his job was uh, driving oxen, driving a plow behind a couple of oxen. Not exactly the top of the Korea food chain. So this is what's recorded of their first encounter. Elijah, this is after God said to go and find the the mentee, Elisha. Elijah went straight out and found Elisha, son of Snapchat, in a field. See, some of you didn't get that, and that's a real shame. In a field where there were 12 pairs of yoked oxen at work plowing, Elisha was in charge of the 12th pair. (laughs) So he was at the back of the back. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak over him. This symbolic gesture to say, I'm going to take you under my wing. I'm going to mentor you. And Elisha understood that's what that symbolized. Elisha deserted the oxen, ran after Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. Then I'll follow you. Go ahead, said Elijah. But mind you, don't forget what I just done to you. So Elisha left. He took his yoke of oxen and butchered them. He made a fire with the plow and tackle and then boiled the meat, a true farewell meal for the family. Then he left and followed Elijah becoming his right hand man. Now it's easy for us to read this story and not quite understand because we don't live in, in on the farm. And, uh, you know, we kind of, we, we, we buy our meat from Woolies, you know, we don't sort of kill an oxen. And then, so it's quite, we can miss this, but let me give you the view from the office of uh, Elijah. It would have looked pretty much like that with Elijah being the guy at the back, but he was also at the back of 12 pairs of oxen, Not exactly the corner office of of downtown Perth, right? And this is Elisha's day. Get up, have breakfast, fetch oxen, attach plow, walk behind oxen, cough up dust, have lunch, go back behind oxen, drive oxen. Cough up dust, eat dinner, watch TV, go to bed, get up and do it all again. Lather, rinse, repeat. This is the definition of routine. And I'm not sure that any one of us would have wanted to be stuck with this sort of routine. Routine. Elijah came along and Elisha walked away from this routine. I want to highlight something before we unpack this story a little bit more. Not all routine is bad. Okay? It takes routine to have a healthy marriage. There are certain things you're going to have to do more than once to build a healthy marriage. I told you I loved you when we when we stood at the altar and got married. Surely that's enough. No, Have a bit of a routine of telling your spouse that you love them and mean it. It's good. Trust me. Um, Raising kids requires routine. Um, Staying in shape requires routine. Not all routine is bad, but there is a sort of routine that we do need to be rescued from. And it's the routine or the rut of no longer expecting more from God. See, in my experience of church leadership, 20 years of church leadership, I've observed that not everyone's in danger of ruining their lives, but a lot of people are in danger of wasting their lives from just getting into this routine with God of, yeah, that's enough. God bless me once, I'm satisfied. And yet there's always... More, And we waste our lives with small dreams and selfish ambition. Now, you know, I'm thinking about preparing this message and speaking with you guys. And it's quite possible that some of you feel like your life looks like Elisha's situation there. Just stuck in a particular situation, doing the same old, same old. And uh, the first thing I want you to know is that often God's working behind the scenes. And your faithfulness is actually positioning you for God to meet you and bring more to you. So there was a hinge point in this very moment of Elisha's life. A hinge point is where things could literally swing one way or the other, in this case, based on Elisha's response. See, we need to understand, Elisha, when Elijah came and put his cloak around Elisha, Elisha could have just thrown it off and said, not interested. You know, flipping God the bird. But he didn't. He demonstrated what I would call ridiculous commitment. We read His story, now I don't have time to go into too much today, but I want to draw a couple of principles out of this story where Elisha immediately said goodbye to his mother and father, burnt the plows, killed the oxen. And one thing I've observed is a lot of people count the cost of burning the plows leaving stuff behind when God calls them forward. It's also critical that we count the cost of not burning the plows. Because if Elisha had not burned the plows, we wouldn't be reading about him today. We wouldn't be looking to him as an example of faith, of ridiculous faith, if he hadn't first demonstrated ridiculous commitment at the hinge point when God was asking him to really go in a radically different direction. So we need to understand, we need to understand that you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak over him. That was it. That was literally it. And on on that very symbolic gesture on its own, Elisha deserted the oxen, ran after Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I'll follow you. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. <clears throat> have you ever had anybody or heard anybody say to you, I, I don't do details? Have you ever, ever had someone say that? Oh, I don't do details. I'm more of a big picture guy. I don't do details. You know, the great news about God is God does details. He says that he knows the number of hairs on our head, which for me is getting easier for him to count every year. He, he, he looks after the sparrows. He, 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 he takes care of the lilies. God does details, but he doesn't always reveal details. Just because doesn't, God doesn't show you the details doesn't mean God doesn't know the details. So why doesn't God always reveal the details? Well, to quote Jack Nicholson, you can't handle the details. See, sometimes if God showed you, it, having called you to something or shown you a promise, if he then revealed some of what you were going to have to do to get there, you'd say no. No. It would terrify you, me as well. So I'm glad he doesn't always show the details, but I'm glad he always knows the details. But let me tell you another reason why God doesn't always show the details. It's because he wants us to live by faith. If we know all the details, we are no longer living by faith. We're just following the bouncing ball. Last year, I went on a ministry trip uh, to the US and... uh, spent some of the time around uh, LA in Southern California. And uh, my itinerary required me to go up and visit, a, a buddy of mine leads a church in Santa Cruz in Northern California. Now, LA, West Coast, West Coast is the best coast, West Coast, LA down here, Santa Cruz there, and then San Francisco about an hour North of Santa Cruz. So one option I had was to get on a plane in LA, fly to San Francisco, and then my buddy was going to come pick me up and we drive an hour to Santa Cruz. Okay. Yeah. It's about a one hour flight. So it's kind of like Sydney to Melbourne flying, but it doesn't work that way because you have to get to LA about three hours before your flight, having driven through some pretty merciless traffic to even get there. Uh, try not to be conned by somebody pretending that they need 20 bucks because well, that's never happened to me. And uh, and LAX is, if you've ever been there, it's like, uh, yeah. You want to you you scare people into following Jesus because they don't want to go to hell? Take them to LAX. It's a preview of what hell looks like. Then you fly to San Francisco. Then I got to check my bags off. And then my buddy's got to pick. It was going to be about a seven hour trip if I flew. So I thought, nah, road trip. Yes. So I hired myself a big truck. Now, truck, you know, we call them a four wheel drive here, but not there. We're truck. And uh, oh, it was cool. Really cool. I got a free upgrade actually. I'd hired a small truck and they, oh, we haven't got any small trucks. Would you want a big one? I'm like, heck yeah. So, um, but here's the thing I'm this, uh, you know, skinny little white boy going to travel from LA to San Francisco. And I ne- I'd never been there. And, you know, they don't sell you a, a, a UBD. Some of you don't know what a UBD is. Uh, So I said to the guy at the rental car company, can you make sure you you give me one with a GPS in it? And so he gave me one with a GPS in it. Cost an extra four bucks a day. I'm like, yeah, great. Because my other option would have been to go to my buddy's house that I was staying with just outside of LA and uh, get my Google Maps uh, on and then print out the route. And then have that next to me, uh, sorry, wrong side, have that next to me and, uh, and, and, and find my way using the map, hard copy, um, hopefully get myself to Santa Cruz. But I'm like, well, that would just be stupid. Now, you understand that map would have had every single, every single detail of how to get to Santa Cruz. And when you print out a Google Maps, it doesn't just tell you where to turn right or turn left. It tells you where to keep going. So you've got a step that just says, keep going straight. I mean, you'd think that the map would have been the way to go. It couldn't get easier. It was just literally step by step, just step by step, and then bam, I'm in Santa Cruz. But you know, why would I want a map when for just $4, I can get a GPS? See, with a GPS, I don't even have to know any of the steps. I just had to know the final destination. See, the difference between a map and a GPS, with a map, entire, the entire responsibility is on me. But with a GPS, the only thing I need to know is the destination. And then I just do what the GPS tells me every single step of the way. I don't even know, need to know two steps away. I just need to listen for the next step and then do what the GPS tells says. So would you want to follow a God who just prints out a map and goes, just follow that, but all the responsibility is on you? Or follow a God who operates more like a GPS, where you've got a sense of where he wants to take you, what what he's promising you, and you say, God, you know what? All the responsibility or the lead responsibility is actually on you. And my only responsibility is to simply listen and obey. It's a much better deal to go the GPS route. Important to understand though, a GPS is only useful if you actually start moving. If you sit around waiting for God to tell you how he's going to hold up his end, before you even start torching your plows, you're going to be in for a long wait, possibly even a lifelong wait. And here's a takeaway. What always precedes how? This is true in everything. I'd like you to marry me. Really? Oh, yes, I'd love to marry you. What always precedes how? Marriage is so ridiculously stupid as a concept, right? That somehow it's a good idea to hook up with somebody who's completely different family of origin to you, who's lived geographically apart from you and to think, oh, I know what would be a great idea. Let's come together and be one and let's share everything and let's, you know, one tube of toothpaste and we both squeeze it from the bottom. (laughs) What always precedes how? Let's have kids. Well, we've never been parents before. What always precedes how? Let's start a business. I've never started a business before. What always precedes how? And don't hate me for this, but sometimes the word from God is simply that, just one word. Go. And what do we say? Where? And he didn't want us to say where, he wants us to say yes. Because what always precedes how. Five years ago, Louisa and I were living in Melbourne, loving living there, looking, probably thinking we're going to stay there. And in December of that particular year, I felt God speak to me and say, Go. And he did throw on back to Perth in in the kind of instruction, not request. (laughs) And I had a hinge point right there. Was I going to we? Were we going to demonstrate ridiculous commitment? He didn't say much more. He just said go. Sometimes he says Stay. (laughs) Going through a rough patch in your marriage, easiest thing would be to leave. It's not always the wrong thing, but sometimes God's word is stay. What always precedes how? Sometimes God simply says, give, trust, start. Commit, serve. And our job's to live with a posture of readiness. If we'll do the going, God will do the showing. Tweet that. All right. And then the other thing I want to drill into this morning, and I told you I wasn't going to cover a lot of ground deliberately. I want us to really get a handle on this hinge moment, this beginning. This, this beginning. Of of the next chapter of Elisha's story of resting on his ridiculous commitment. Those who God uses the most are the ones who hold on to the least. The writer says, So Elisha left, he took his yoke of oxen and butchered them, he made a fire with the plough and tackle, and boiled the meat, a true farewell meal for the family. Then he left and followed Elijah, becoming his right hand man. Put yourself for a moment in Elisha's parents' shoes. Elisha's gone off to work like he's done every single other day. He's got a steady job, a steady income. Historians suggest he probably, because there was 12 pair of oxen, he was probably working for for one of the wealthiest landowners in in his region. So, uh, you know, good steady job. Good work if you can get it, son. And uh, Elisha comes in, in the middle of the day one day, which he never did. And he says, "Um, Mom, Dad, got something to tell you. Uh, um, I've decided to quit my job. Oh, really, son? You know, when you tell that to parents, they go, really? That's great. Uh, Okay, Uh, Tell us more Well You know that rock star guy The prophet Elijah Yeah, yeah, yeah We've heard of him Everyone's heard of him Well You're never going to believe it He just turned up in the field Really? Yeah, yeah Turned up in the field And uh, And he threw his cloak around me And because of that uh, I've decided To quit my job And uh, And by the way uh, uh, Burn the plows And use them as kind of uh, like a barbecue pit kind of fuel, and I'm going to butcher the oxen, right? Which probably didn't even belong to him. So there's a whole other story there. Butcher them and uh, and cook them, and I want you to come. and uh, And by the way, it's it's a farewell feast. I'm never going to see you again. What do you think of that? Right? What advice would you have given Elisha? Right at that moment, you don't know anything of the next bit of the story at this point. I mean, really, what advice would you have given him? Now, I've got an insight into what advice you might have given him, because when I was 26, uh, I was working as a business development executive for the fifth largest company in the world at the time, on the graduate uh, career path with them. Uh, I had my own nice company car, uh, uh, Nearly mobile phone, um, Nokia. Anyone remember them? And uh, and it only had nine uh, uh, buttons and to text, twenty-six letters of the alphabet. But we got by, baby. Um, and uh, I felt God tell me to give all that up and back and go to Bible college. So I uh, drove over to see my mum and dad, who'd paid for my private school education in high school and uh, let me live under their roof throughout university um, and eat their food still. Um, and I said to them, Hey, mum and dad, guess what? And I told them the story. And they said, That's great. Uh, what are you going to do for an income while you're at Bible college? Search me. Um, uh, uh, what are you going to do at the end of Bible college? See, my parents are pretty smart. They get it. If you go to nursing school and graduate, you, you become a nurse. You know, if you go to a police academy and graduate, you become a policeman. You go to Bible college and you graduate, you don't become a Bible. You don't become anything. There's no, there's no job. Yeah, I probably it's probably the probably the last time I'm ever going to use that gag, Pete. There's something for you to praise the Lord about right there. <laughs> Entering your destiny sometimes requires an act of arson. See, because. Elisha went one step further than just running after Elijah. He also ensured there was nothing to run back to. And many of us, in order to step into our destiny, we're going to have to abandon our security. It's a matter of surrender. Surrender. It's a matter of faith. And it's not just about life stages. See, we could, we could think, you know, look at the story of Elisha right here and, and see this career shift going from the, the plowman to the, 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 the biggest miracle worker apart from Jesus. We could see that and think, okay, this means I have to change my life situation, have to change jobs. It, well, it might, but, it, but it, doesn't, it doesn't just work on that kind of macro level, this principle of ridiculous commitment, it could mean something very, very, very seemingly minute that you're holding on to that's preventing you from going into your destiny. It could be some of the people you hang around with. Do you know some of the people you hang around with help you become a better person when you're around them? You know those people in your life? Do you also maybe know some people in your life that when you hang around them, they actually make you a worse version of yourself? if you hang around them too often or for too long. You might have to sever some relationships. If you've got a a problem with gossiping, you might have to stop hanging around people who gossip or stop hanging around people who listen to gossip in order for you to fulfill your destiny. It seems like a little thing, but you might have to actually burn the plows. Oh, but they're my friends. mm, okay. Time for some new friends, better friends oh i'm I'm showing them the love of Jesus, really, when you gossip with them, how's that working for you? I don't want you representing me <laughs> Maybe there's a way you've been treating your spouse that you're going to have to stop. Oh, yeah, but it's been going on so long it's it's a habit. I know. Time to start shaping a new habit. Time to burn the plow. Oh yeah, but they do it back to me. Yeah? Okay, sure. Be a leader. Go to a higher altitude. Working in the job you don't like and because you don't like it, you're only putting 50% into it and praying to God for a promotion. God promotes unfaithfulness not on half-heartedness. And so maybe the player you've got to burn is, is, is uh, change your work practices, bring your best. And trust that God's going to build on that. What always precedes how. I heard a great story this week of a guy who struggled, struggles with pornography. There was a time where if you wanted, by the way, the story I'm about to tell you, you know this, but I'm just kind of, Telling anyway, there was a time when if you wanted to access pornography, you would have to put on dark glasses and a trench coat and go and sneak the long way around into your local news agent and buy one of the magazines sealed in plastic. Now, they're still there, right? I see them. I don't buy them, but I see them. And, uh, but you don't have to do that anymore. Now you just have to own some sort of internet connected device. Um, so, this guy I heard about this week uh, he 's been struggling with pornography for years and, and, and it 's an addiction like any addiction it 's destructive like any addiction it destroys your soul and it destroys the souls of the people around you It, it, er, it erodes over time um, If you know you think it 's harmless, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about overcoming temptation i 'd encourage you to go and listen to that podcast and one of the metaphors that James wrote about is temptation starts, looks like a baby, small, innocent, and cute, but grows up and becomes a destructive adult. And so this guy was uh, addicted to pornography, was accessing pornography on his computer a number of years ago and uh, got with some friends and you can block all that stuff now you can put on filters and 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 run programs. You can even have a program on your computer that links your computer web browser to any number of your friends. There's a program you can install so you can you can have a couple of trusted safe friends in your life who see everything or not they see the content they see the names of the websites you visit you know fantastic so this guy accessed all of that good stuff and uh and was going well until uh, smartphones come out. And he bought a smartphone. And now, they don't come with the same filters yet. I imagine that that they're coming. And so he found himself right back at the bottom of the ditch that he was in in the computer days. Uh, (laughs) and, And after quite a long period of time, struggling with this, He went for a drive with his smartphone and he pulled up to the edge of a canyon and he ditched that smartphone over the edge onto the rocks and drove away and bought himself a little flip phone, the one with nine buttons for all the 26 letters of the alphabet. And he hates that phone. Every single time he has to use it, he can't stand it. But you know what? Because he burnt the plow. He's just one, you know, high tech device away from going back, but he made it in his life so that he couldn't go back. He didn't just follow after Elijah. He made sure there was nothing to run back to. And so maybe. You know, I deliberately haven't answered many questions this morning. A message like this and a story like Elisha's, <laughs> it often raises more questions than it answers. So you walk away 30 minutes later, 30 minutes more confused. That's why I want you to be here for the next three weeks. But uh, understand these are principles. And the process from here, because what always precedes how, the process from here is to, is for each one of us to pray to God show me how this principle applies to me. Show me a hinge point that I need to exercise ridiculous commitment to. Show me something that I need to burn. Show me something that I need to respond to and uh, see what God does with that. Last thing we do this morning uh, I've gone a bit long. I blame the fact that the clock's not working up on the screen at the back. And I mean, of course, there's no clock on my iPad. Um, and and my watch doesn't have an actual display. Oh, yes, it does. Um, anyway, I want to do one last thing and I'm going to hand back to Jess. And that is to give you an opportunity to make a decision to follow Jesus if you've not made that decision before. You know, this idea of Elijah putting his cloak around Elisha is kind of symbolic of what Jesus did for us. And Jesus came to earth to actually give us the opportunity to follow him, to put our trust in him, to say, wherever you go, I will go. And uh, if you've never made that decision, if you've never said yes to following Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity right here, right now. So in a moment, for those of you that haven't made that decision, I just want you to put your hand up, and say, yeah, that's me this morning. We had two people make this decision last week. How many of you need to make that decision this morning? Just put your hand up. When I see your hand, you can put it down and we're just going to pray for you without crowding you or anything. Just put your hand up real quickly. When I see your hand, you can put it down. Then we're going to pray. I don't want to miss anybody, but this is the absolute most important thing we do every single time we gather as Elevate Church. Just look one more time across our auditorium. If you haven't yet made that decision and you know this is your day, just put your hand up real quickly. Then you can put it down. When the kings were afraid their soldiers might die of thirst, they sought the mysterious miracle worker, hoping for help. Instead of a promise of rain, Elisha told them to make the valley full of ditches and wait. Grab your shovels and get ready to grow with ridiculous faith.